Welcome. It's Tuesday, April 6, 2021, and you're listening to the Caravan Podcast, a venture of the Herbert and Jane Dwight Working Group on the Middle East and the Islamic World at the Hoover Institution. The Working Group publishes regular commentary on the Middle East and U.S. foreign policy. You can read our work at hoover.org caravan. We also explore various topics about the Middle East and the Islamic world here on our podcast, The Caravan Podcast. New podcasts appear twice a month. Please subscribe by going to hoover.org, clicking on publications, and go to podcasts. You can su- subscribe to any and all of our many podcasts, by the way, including Econ Talk with Russ Roberts, The Grumpy Economist with John Cochran, The Libertarian with Victor Davis Hansen, The Pacific Century with Misha Oslin and John Yu, and Goodfellows with Neil Ferguson, H.R. McMaster, and John Cochran. My name is Russell Berman, and I'm director of the Working Group. Before proceeding with today's guests, I have to share the sad news that my colleague in the Working Group, Charlie Hill, passed away last month. Charlie was a career minister in the U.S. State Department, a legend in American diplomacy, and co-founder of Yale's Grand Strategy Program. It was an honor to be able to work with him at Hoover. He'll be greatly missed. Today, I'm fortunate to be able to speak with Dr. Matthias Künzel. Matthias teaches political science in Hamburg, Germany, with a special interest in anti-Semitism, German politics, and German policy toward the Middle East. His essays have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, The New Republic, Der Spiegel, Die Welt, and many other venues. Two of his books are available in English from Telos Press, especially including Germany and Iran, From the Aryan Access to the Nuclear Threshold. Many of his writings are available at matthiaskunzel.de. Let me spell that. M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S-K-U-E-N-T-Z-E-L dot D-E. And there's a link there to the English language versions. So our timing for today's discussion is very serendipitous uh, as the JCPOA discussions are just beginning again in Vienna, and that is our topic for today. Welcome, Matthias. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Glad to see you again. It's been a while. I'd like you to help us get some insight into the European component of the Iran deal, the JCPOA. Most of the discussion about the JCPOA treats it as a matter of relations between the U.S. and Iran. But it was not just a bilateral agreement. It included other partners, Russia, China, and the so-called E3, France, the U.K., and Germany. How should we understand Germany's involvement? Can you give some historical background? What drives Germany's interest in Iran? Well, thank you for inviting me again, Russell. Uh, the German participation in the five plus one group is indeed a little bit strange since Germany is neither a permanent member of the Security Council nor a nuclear weapon state like the other five powers. However, Germany has always had special relations with Iran and it was of course eager to raise its status. There was a clear desire to get a seat at the negotiation table when the five plus one group came into being in 2006. Russia supported this German ambition and the United States also agreed because of Germany's special relationship with Iran. 
Germany thus became the only non-nuclear weapon state involved in the negotiations next to Iran, of course. And this is of some importance because this status contributed to it taking the softest approach to negotiations with Iran. Germany, for example, supported the very begin at the, from the very beginning the idea to allow Iran limited enrichment capabilities, something that the United States conceded only in 2015 under the nuclear deal. And the reason is, of course, while nuclear weapon states seek to keep their privilege against all others, non-nuclear weapon states like Germany and Iran are interested in reducing this privilege as much as, as, much as possible and tend to interpret the non-proliferation treaty as generously as possible. So Germany took a softer stance than France or the UK, you believe? Yes, sure. Because um, France and, and Great Britain are also nuclear weapon states and they want to prevent a new state with a bomb. Okay. But Germany is it's in itself a nearly nuclear weapon state because um, techn technologically very advanced. And so there is a similarity with Iran. All right. Well, facing the old Soviet Union and today again facing China, Germany tends to adopt policies based on the assumption that more trade will lead to political reform. The formula in German is Wandel durch Handel, it rhymes. And that means that you can get bad regimes to get better if you just do business with them. So does that work here? Is the German support for the JCPOA driven by similar hopes for commercial opportunities? Well, I think the trade aspect may, might play a role in the very long term, but not today. Iran currently ranks 68th on the list of German trading partners ahead of Cambodia and behind New Zealand. During better times, for example, in 2017, German exports to Iran comprised only about 0,2% of total German exports. Another aspect is more important in my opinion and that is anti-Americanism. Of course, there are no gatherings of Germans yelling death to America. Yet there is a hidden and diffuse anti-imperialist current, not only in the population that despises America more than Iran. Foreign Minister Joschka Fischer lent his voice to this mood when he declared in his role as foreign minister I quote Joschka Fischer, we Europeans have constantly advised our Iranian partners to view us as their protective shield, end quote. Europe as a shield between Iran and America, not to protect the United States from the Islamists, but the Islamists from the United States. Such a metaphor could only occur to someone who sees America as an adversary and the communist revolution as meriting some protection. This anti-Americanism naturally reached its peak during the Trump years, simply because Donald Trump lived and embodied 
the prejudice of the ugly American. For people like me fighting anti-Americanism since decades, it was an extremely difficult time, and not just because the criticism of Trump was very often justified, but also because the German government was handed a wonderful excuse not to take a harder line against Iran because that hard line was associated with the odious Donald Trump. So to come back to the question and come back to Germany's special relation with Iran, Germany and Iran have been allied since the beginning of the last century. 100 years ago, Germany provided Iran with, a, with both the backbone of its industrial infrastructure and the trained personnel needed to run it. Soon, the German worth ethic gained a literary legendary reputation, which was later exploited by Nazi propaganda. The Islamic revolution benefited Germany in particular. The Ayatollah's rage was not directed at Germany, but at the United States, Britain, and France. Instead of opposing this effort to split the West, Germany counted on this very separation and on Iran's anti-American activism. Khomeini threw American companies out of the country and had them replaced by German companies. So this is again an example for the history of anti-Americanism when it comes to Germany and Iran. Anti-Americanism is indeed a, a topic um, in uh, European and perhaps especially German politics. Uh, uh, and you, Matthias, have been a, a strong voice critical of that uh, anti-Americanism. Um, putting this in the context of the Iran discussions now, um, I just want to point out that you've, <clears throat> you've highlighted two parallel political agendas. Uh, the political agenda of raising the international profile of Germany through participating in the in the JCPOA discussions. Um, and secondly, the building on uh, a competition between Germany and the United States that sometimes takes the shape of anti-Americanism. So those are two political dimensions rather than um, rather than commercial ones. Uh, let, let me move on to um, Germany and the Middle East um, in a in a in a somewhat wider frame. Uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel famously declared that Israeli security is of central importance to Germany. Germany is also a major arms provider for Saudi Arabia. Both Israel and Saudi Arabia see Iran as a significant threat, and they're surely right to see Iran as a threat. Uh, therefore, they've opposed the JCPOA in somewhat different registers. Uh, they see the JCPOA as empowering their enemy. So how do, how do German relations toward Israel and toward Saudi Arabia fit into Germany's thinking about the JCPOA? Let me please focus my answer on the Israel issue. Germany wants to maintain its special relationship with Israel and its special relationship with the Iranian regime at the same time. But this is a contradiction that cannot be bridged by any formula. Every neutral observer would confirm that the country that was responsible for the Holocaust yesterday had to stop courting the only country in the world that denies the Holocaust today. It is a terrible paradox 
that Germany as a country that is said to have learned from its horrendous past is among the European Union still the strongest economic partner of a regime that prepares to eradication of Israel. How can you sell that to the German public? Well, in addition to the usual talk about the need for dialogue and the importance of a moderate fraction in the Iranian regime, which should be strengthened against the so-called hardliners, there are two fundamental mistakes in dealing with Iran. First, the anti-Semitism of the Iranian regime is constantly played down and the danger of an anti-Semitically motivated war thus denied. Second, public relations experts and politicians refuse to take seriously what it means when this revolutionary and religious fanatical regime has the atomic bomb. This is my only explanation why they come through with this kind of policy. Okay, well, let's talk about the JCPOA um, in a little bit different detail. Some critics of the JCPOA complain about its omissions, uh, what isn't in there. Uh, this is a so-called comprehensive plan, but it leaves out key issues, the ballistic missiles program and the regional destabilization through proxies, uh, the Hezbollah in particular. I'd add human rights violations in Iran as well. These are issues that the JCOP does not talk about. Meanwhile, there's a different criticism when critics point out issues in the JCPOA, the sins of commission, if we could put it that way. These are the sunset clauses that the JCPOA expires after a certain time and the weak inspection regime. What's your view of these things? Is, is the problem what's in the JCPOA or what's not in it? Well, okay, my point of view is that the aspects you mentioned, nuclear non-proliferation, region, regional security, Iranian civil rights should be viewed as complementary rather than conflicting. Um, if, for example, the European Union shrinks from criticizing the catastrophic human rights situation in Iran, not to jeopardize the nuclear talks with Iran, then that is exactly the wrong approach. Then you play one topic against the other. I agree if the greatest danger, the nuclear and missile program is negotiated separately, but at the same time, the regime's behavior in the region and against its own people must be named and addressed every day according to the blame and shame scheme. This is my position on that. The German foreign policy debate concerning Iran currently revolves around only one subject. How can the nuclear deal be saved in its unchanged form? How can we bridge the differences between Tehran and Washington? How can the United States be persuaded to finally lift Trump's Iran sanctions? Talks between the atomic deal partners and the United States, as you mentioned, are taking place in Vienna today. Here, Russia and China, but also the E3, Great Britain, France, and Germany, want to get the Biden administration to be more accommodating to Iran. My hope is that the Biden administration will be strong enough 
to hold off these concentrated attempts. I am personally convicted that the JCPOA is a dead deal, a deal that cannot be revitalized. Why? Because nothing is today as it was in 2015. Today, Russia is at war on the side of Iran. Today, China has switched sides and signed new agreements with Iran. Today, the Abraham Agreement changed the political landscape in the region and the nuclear deal restricted Iran only initially. Today, the sunset rule is central. The regime's room for maneuver was already expanded in 2020. The next ban is due to expire in two years, etc. Many seem to believe that Iran may be willing to revive the 2015 nuclear deal. I disagree also in this respect. Many signals from Tehran indicate that this is wishful thinking, that the regime is no longer interested in a real revitalization of the nuclear deal, that it is only using this deal to hide its nuclear military program behind it. For those in power in Tehran, the lifting of sanctions is secondary. They prefer a resistance economy to a Western-style consumer economy. Let me quote Hossein Salami, the commander of the Revolutionary Guards, the group that really rules Iran. He declared on March 30, quote, we stand inattentive to the sanctions. We don't even need the JCPOA either, as we press ahead to make the country stronger day by day. Of course, uh, this refers to the nuclear progress. Revolutionary leader Khamenei has made a similar statement by using other words. I quote Khamenei, the Americans must lift the sanctions, all the sanctions, and then we will verify, and if they are truly lifted, then we will return to our GCPOA commitments. If they don't, things will continue as they are now, and it is not an issue. But, end quote, but uh, nobody seems to take his words seriously. So the question is, can the pressure on the regime still be increased? My answer is yes. The Trump administration focused on economic pressures through 100, uh, although 100% of Iranian trade is with countries other than the United States. At the same time, however, Trump's megaphone diplomacy weakens the political pressure by jeopardizing the alliance between the United States and the European Union. The regime triumphed because the West was divided. It is therefore right that the Biden administration wants to reestablish the alliance with the European Union. The decisive factor, however, is which course this new alliance will take. Will the Europeans impose their appeasement course on the United States? Or will a United West increase the pressure on the regime? Today, the E3 could increase this pressure by even using the still valid mechanisms of the atomic deal. In January 2020, 
the E3 initiated the so-called dispute mechanism in response to continued Iranian violations of the JCPOA. This mechanism gives every participant state the possibility to threaten a snap back if Tehran does not revoke its violations within a few weeks. Snap back means that all the United Nations sanctions would come back into force. Iran continues to fear this tool. The E3 are able, but at the time being not willing to threaten its use in order to force the regime to change course. So I hope the Americans will press the Europeans to take this step. Are the terms of the German foreign policy discussion changing at all? Uh, Germany sees its interests in preventing armed conflict in the Middle East, but also in stopping nuclear proliferation. Are these two goals fully compatible with each other? Would Germany accept a nuclear armed Iran, I'd call that a version of North Korea, in order to avoid armed conflict? Or is there any way that Germany, the German foreign policy world, could accept an elimination of the Iranian nuclear potential by military means? I think today the German public and a majority of German politicians would rather accept an Iran capable of nuclear weapons than a military conflict. Their priority is to ensure that Iran's progress toward nuclear power is frictionless, that it takes place without a war. And indeed, as an economic giant and military dwarf, my country would certainly be out of the game in the event of military operations. The German government, however, celebrates this shortcoming as a moral triumph. It holds up the Iran nuclear deal as the best example of the correctness of the German insistence that change can only be achieved through dialogue. Little thought, however, is given to what exactly 40 years of dialogue with Tehran have actually achieved. There are also voices saying that the more important interest of the Federal Republic should be to prevent Iran's nuclear armament and that Germany should support a military strike if this should become necessary in order to prevent Iran's nuclear armament. But these voices are very rare. They do not play a role in public debates. Okay, well, public debates, uh, this is raises the issue of German politics more broadly. Uh, Germany is going to have general elections in September. What is it, September 26th, I think, is that right? Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, I yeah. know. Uh, uh, the, so there'll be a new Bundestag and there'll be a new majority in the Bundestag and the long era of Angela Merkel will come to an end. Um, there is likely to be a new coalition government in Berlin. Um, currently, there's still the grand coalition of the, of the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats. That's very unlikely to continue. Uh, can you foresee changes in German foreign policy? toward Iran, uh, toward the Middle East, or toward the United States? Well, um, during our talk, I emphasized the importance of anti-Americanism for German foreign policy. For me, being progressive has nothing to do with anti-Americanism. In the spectrum of German parties, however, 
it is unfortunately the case that left and anti-American go together. The SPD's social Democrats' resentment against the United States is bad, that of the Greens worse, and that of the left party uh, still worse. If these parties would form an alliance after the general election in September, the mullahs in Tehran could breathe a sigh of relief, I would say. So um, if it comes to foreign affairs issues, I, I, I wouldn't like this kind of new coalition. But we don't know. Okay, that's the model of the left coalition, the SPD, the Greens, and the so-called left party. But yeah. we, you could have a different coalition of even the conservatives and the Greens. What would that foreign policy be like? Well, um, that wouldn't change very much. Um, the Green Party is, you know, um, has no clear foreign policy program. They are a little bit stronger against Russia, perhaps. So it may be the case that the um, stream, Nord Stream would be finished, you know, the pipeline from Russia to Germany. Um, my, my, my greater hope is with the Liberal Party, the FDP, uh, because they showed some signs of resistance against the Iranian threat. Some politicians uh, there made good uh, uh, proposals in the German Bundestag against Iran and against the uh, um, uh, naming of Israel as a bad country in the United Nations and so on and so forth. Um, but I have no big expectations uh, as far as the Green Party is concerned. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. The Liberal Party, the FDP, um, polls very low. It's never been a very large party, but it has sometimes been a crucial key in forming coalitions. So we'll see. We'll learn about that in September. And in the meantime, the discussions in Vienna are continuing. Matthias, uh, thank you for the conversation and for the insight into the transatlantic dimension of the JCPOA debate. Matthias's book, Germany and Iran, From the Aryan Access to the Nuclear Threshold, is available from Telos Press at telospress, T-E-L-O-S-P-R-E-S-S dot -E -S -S com or at Amazon. You can also find his other relevant book, Jihad and Jew Hatred, Islamism, Nazism, and the Roots of 9-11. You can read more by Matthias online at matthiaskunzel.de. You can follow <clears throat> Hoover's working group on the Middle East and the Islamic world at hoover.org slash caravan. The Hoover Institution is on Twitter at hooverinst, I-N-S-T. And I'm Russell Berman on Twitter at RussellBermanSF. Please return to listen to our future discussions of the Caravan podcast later this month, when my Caravan colleague Cole Bunzel will be speaking with Wesley Morgan, author of the new book, The Hardest Place, the American military adrift in Afghanistan's Peck Valley. We'll discuss his book and the Afghan predicament more generally. I'll be back in about a month, and I hope you'll be listening in. Goodbye. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.